The Seahawks were back in action at the VMAC on Wednesday for the second of three mandatory minicamp practices. What went down on the practice field? We're going to be sharing some observations and takeaways on our Wednesday installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks having their second of three practices for mandatory minicamp at the VMAC today. Plenty to talk about on what went down in that practice. And of course, some commentary from Drew Locke and Geno Smith, who met with the media after practice as they continue their quarterback competition to replace Russell Wilson. This episode is brought your way by Blue Nile. Make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com and Locked On Sports listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. Use the code LOCKEDON at checkout. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. A bit of a unexpected early June move made by the Seahawks today restructuring defensive tackle Shelby Harris's contract. And with that move, they've opened up more than $3 million, $3.26 million to be exact, in cap space. And according to overthecap.com, that means Seattle now has, has around that means Seattle now has around $17 million in cap space. Bit of an interesting move because you wouldn't have expected that here in early June with a player like Harris. But at the same time, the Seahawks are always looking for creative ways to create some cap space so that they have a little bit of flexibility if they want to make a move. Of course, Rob, this is going to cue plenty of speculation because there's going to be people out there wondering, well, John Schneider, why do you need to make this move right now? This is normally not something that John Schneider likes to do, restructuring contracts, kicking money down the road. But that's exactly what they did here. There's got to be another move coming, right? I don't know if there is. I, I think that this is just, you know, kind of good business. Um, you know, I think that is, is something that we have seen, not necessarily in Seattle, but we've seen throughout the NFL, Corbin, where that, you know, when you make a trade and you acquire some veterans and the the, the contracts that they had with their previous teams, then it, it does make some sense, both intellectually and financially sense to to be able to kind of kick that, those dollars down the road, be able to try to manage those contracts a little bit more to fit in with the new club's salary structure. Uh, I think that Shelby Harris is a, is a really good football player. But at the same time, I think that by restructuring his contract, that it, it gives Seattle a great deal of flexibility. And I know it, you just kind of hinted at it, that this is going to lead to all types of suggestions out there that, oh, now Seattle is going to make their move for Baker Mayfield. They're going to make their move for Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. Seattle is going to be a player in, in everything, which is exactly what John Schneider and Pete Carroll have always talked about. There are going to be some surprise cuts throughout the summer and early into the preseason. That happens every single year. 
This allows Seattle to be able to compete should there be a player they view. And I don't think it's going to be a quarterback, but should there be a player, regardless of position, that suddenly is made available, Seattle's going to have the salary cap flexibility to be able to compete to bring that player to the Seahawks. When this move first was announced, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network being the first one to announce the restructure, my mind went straight to Baker Mayfield. Not going to lie. That extra $3.26 million gives them $17 million in cap space. Baker Mayfield's contract for this year is a little over $18 million. So they don't have quite enough space to absorb that whole contract. Not that they're going to be doing that anyway, but... I immediately start to think, you know, maybe, just maybe, they've seen enough from Drew Locke and Geno Smith to this point. They think, you know what, let's go and let's get him. And then I had to step back for a second and be like, look, they're not going to trade for him. That's been made very clear to this point. If he gets released, then maybe that changes the game. But they didn't make this move to go get Baker Mayfield. They didn't make this move to go get Jimmy Garoppolo in division. I still don't think there's any way that that would happen, even to the Seahawks were interested in making that deal and nothing I've been told suggests that they are looking to trade with San Francisco to get Jimmy Garoppolo. My mind wandered in other directions though, because I look at this as one of those situations where I don't think a move is imminent, but at the same time, as you mentioned, John Schneider is in on everything. And there have been some rumors coming out of the Windy City that Robert Quinn wants to play elsewhere. Now, recently, it looks like maybe things have calmed down a little bit on that front. But last month, that was a rumor that was running rampant that he was looking to get out of Chicago, coming off an 18 and a half sack season for the Bears and a player that I think would be a really good fit in a 3-4 defense. So that was a name that popped in my head briefly thinking, hey, maybe they're not looking for a quarterback. Maybe they want to add another guy to go with Daryl Taylor and Uchenna Nuosu and Poye Mafe to go hunt down quarterbacks. But really what I think, and you mentioned it, I think that this is more about trying to make the contract match up with how Seattle likes to do business. The Broncos don't handle contracts the same way that the Seahawks do. This isn't about extending DK Metcalf. They have plenty of money to absorb a signing bonus and a slight bump in his cap hit if they're able to get that extension worked out. They didn't need to make this move to do that. So I think this is really about giving more money up front to Shelby Harris and increasing his guaranteed money, but also giving them flexibility in case they do want to go out and make a move and having the contract more on their terms. That's how John Schneider likes to do business. That's how the front office likes to do business. They've done it a few times in the past. So that really is what I think is going on here. I don't know necessarily that we can rule out any of the moves I mentioned, but I would be surprised the more that I've stepped back and thought about this, This just looks like normal conventional business to me with a player that they acquired a contract on, making it more on their terms. I I agree with you. I also think that there is a possibility that they are moving some assets around because they are anticipating just the incredible amount of money it's going to take to to bring in that second contract on DK Metcalf. And and I I would agree with you. I, I don't think that Seattle necessarily had to make this move to bring in DK Metcalf. I mean, he is, of course, under contract. But at the same time, 
when Seattle does resign, and I say when, not if, when Seattle does resign DK Metcalf, we, I think we all realize we're talking about 25 plus million dollars here. Um, you know, and, and so it is going to require a little bit of massaging uh, of that salary cap. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Seattle made some other moves uh, to be able to kind of move some dollars around because number 14 is going to, you know, require an awful lot of massaging of that salary cap uh, to be able to make him happy right now and maybe be able to make him happy over the next three, four, five, perhaps seasons uh, of that, that that contract, at least that I expect that the Seahawks are negotiating with him. So I do think that is something to do with it, uh, you know, and, and the, the timing doesn't surprise me at all, considering the fact, of course, that Metcalf is, is uh, you know, holding out, so to speak, quote unquote, um, and not participating in this, uh, this mini camp. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that the greater point is something that you and I just kind of talked about that, that Seattle just wants to make sure that they are in position, not only for a DK Metcalf type of second contract, but also for the other potential free agents that might suddenly be on the market. And I think it's worth noting, and I mentioned it, if Mayfield gets cut by the Browns, and that's looking like a bigger long shot by the day, given the news that's come out on Deshaun Watson. If there was one positive for the Seahawks this offseason, they did not get Deshaun Watson. Given what we now know, the things just get, they just keep getting worse and worse and worse. But anyway, that is setting up for Baker Mayfield to be the starter again for the Cleveland Browns if Watson gets suspended. They might try to mend fences there. And from Mayfield's perspective, it would make some sense. That might be the best chance for him to rebuild his stock so he can become a free agent next year. And maybe Deshaun Watson could play in 2023. Who knows what's going to happen on that front. But if he gets cut somehow, the Seahawks would have the flexibility to be able to sign him to a one-year deal and maybe be able to offer a little bit more money up front too if they wanted to. They wouldn't have to do that necessarily because Cleveland would owe him a ton of money. But Anyway, I don't think that this move was made for that reason. I don't necessarily believe it was to re-sign DK Metcalf either. Even his teammate, uh, former Ole Miss teammate, A.J. Brown, his cap hit only went up a little over a million dollars with his extension with his new team, the Philadelphia Eagles. So I don't expect that we would see a huge jump in his cap hit for this year, even with an extension. The new money is going to be in the future seasons for him. But nonetheless, this is the type of move that you're going to look at and wonder, might there still be a move? I'm not ruling anything out, but I don't think anything's imminent at this point. Maybe not the sexiest radio take. Everybody wants hot takes, but that's the reality. John Schneider is positioning himself to be able to make a move if he wants to and has the ability to do so. If not, they don't have to force the issue. It does give them a little bit of financial flexibility with some other things that they might want to do with their roster and with certain contracts. Coming up next, Drew Locke and Geno Smith spoke to the media after Wednesday's minicamp practice. We're going to be sharing some takeaways from what the two quarterbacks had to say at the VMAC when we return. At BlueNile.com, you can celebrate all of life's special moments from creating the custom engagement ring of her dreams to gifting a classic and timeless jewelry piece, all at prices you won't find at a traditional jeweler. Whether you're ready to pop the question or you're celebrating a milestone moment, find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. Build the engagement ring of her dreams or celebrate life's special moments with fine jewelry no matter what you're looking for. Blue Nile has the jewelry experts on hand 24-7. Make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com and Locked On Sports listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. 
This podcast exclusive includes engagement. Use the code Locked On. Plus, every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever peace. Go to BlueNile.com today. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. This is your host, Corbett Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. we got an important favor to ask of all of you listeners. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On podcasts. Go to LockdownPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes a survey qualifies for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thanks for your help. With the competition officially underway at quarterback, Geno Smith and Drew Locke both met with local media today after Seattle's second of three Mandatory minicamp sessions wasn't necessarily the greatest of days for either quarterback throwing the football. Both guys posted lower completion percentages than they have in any of the previous OTAs or minicamps. Kind of was a defensive day, as we'll be talking about later in the show. But nonetheless, some really interesting insight from both players as they embark on this quarterback competition. And I'm going to start right here, right now with this, Rob. Big takeaway that I had listening to both these guys answer questions today, it's clearly evident there's no there's no bad blood between these two guys. They are veterans. They both are gunning for the quarterback job, but they're going to do it without stepping on each other's feet. And I don't expect that's going to change. This is going to be an intense competition, and they're both going to be battling tooth and nail to win that job. But it looks like these two guys, you don't have to worry about their potentially being bad blood as this competition plays out. Yeah, and I didn't expect that there would be. I, th- I think that when you just look at the skill sets of both of these players, the the experience both of them have, uh, both second round picks, both being highly successful against top competition. Of course, Geno Smith of West Virginia in college, and uh, you know, and Drew Locke at Missouri, um, you know, put up incredible. I mean, just eye popping numbers uh, throughout their their college days. Um, you know, as I mentioned, selected in the second round, have been starters in the NFL, have won the starting job have lost the starting job and so i think that there is a some respect there um and it's just some acknowledgement that that they do have an opportunity here um and, and so I, I think that that uh again it is to be expected and, and also just the fact that you know Drew Locke and, and Geno Smith have kind of been acknowledged by you know some of their their current and prior teammates, both at the NFL and collegiate level, as being exactly that good teammates, the kind of guys that you want to go to battle with. So again, I'm I'm not entirely surprised by that, and I think that even last year when we saw the way that DK Metcalf's numbers, you know, frankly exploded when when Geno Smith was the starting quarterback for Seattle, I think that that kind of speaks to just the rapport that that Gino already has with DK Metcalf, who of course is not been at the minicamp with Seattle. And, and the early reports that we're getting about how Drew Locke is showing his comfort with, with some of Seattle's 
of pass catchers. Cody Thompson being a guy that went to Dallas and worked out with uh, Drew Locke, as well as Will Disley. Um, they, you know, just kind of acknowledging the fact that Tyler Lockett is just the you know the, the route running maven that he is. I mean, he is just a you know we, we use that term in the past of of guys who are just like a security blanket for quarterbacks. I mean. Tyler Lockett might be as good of a security blanket as there is. Uh, and so I think that all of those things uh, kind of lead you to the, the idea that this is going to be a spirited battle, but also respectful one all the way down to the very last snap of that three uh, preseason games. These two guys are at different places in their career, but as you mentioned, there are parallels because both guys became starters in their first season, in the NFL Geno Smith, started from day one for the New York Jets, and he had a rough rookie season. Drew Locke got hurt, ended up starting the last five games, went 4-1 and one for the Denver Broncos as a rookie. And then for both these guys, things slipped away. They ended up losing their starting jobs. Geno Smith got hurt, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, of all people, came in and took the job, led the Jets to 10 wins. Drew Locke lost out his job to Teddy Bridgewater last year and only got to start a few games at the end of the season when Bridgewater had a concussion. So, Again, there are a lot of parallels here, and I think these two guys know that. Obviously, they're not going to give an inch of this competition. They both want to start badly for this football team. But I do think there is a mutual respect between them because they have traveled the same road in many regards, and this is their second chance to be a starter for an NFL team. The next thing that really jumped out to me is both players talked about this extensively. This is not the first time for either guy that they are competing for a starting job. Drew Locke, it was just a year ago going against Teddy Bridgewater. Back in the day, Geno Smith was competing against Ryan Fitzpatrick. He was competing against Mark Sanchez as a rookie. I mean, he has been through a couple of quarterback competitions for a starting job. So both these guys have prior experience, and they have learned lessons that they are bringing into this competition. And I thought Drew Locke explained it best. Last year, he was putting way too much stock in comparing himself to Teddy Bridgewater. And from a mental standpoint, that did not help him at all. So he's really shifted his focus to start off this competition. He's not worried about what Geno Smith is doing or comparing himself to Geno Smith. It's all about his own performance. Did I get better? And as a result, did I help my teammates perform better? That's what he's trying to do each day. And I think he's just got a better mindset from that experience last year. And Geno Smith really seemed to echo those same sentiments that you control what you can control. Don't worry about what the other guy is doing, because once you start doing that too much, and you hyperanalyze the competition itself with another player it really negatively impacts your performance. Uh, absolutely it does. And I think it's the most natural thing in the world. You know, I mean, if you watch much football, especially college football um, over the years, then maybe you've seen one of those, uh, those competitions, uh, you know, where they're throwing the ball into the, uh, you know, it, it, you know, just trying to have those little throwing competitions that you see in college football. And, you know, I think it is, again, the most natural thing in the world to kind of look over and see what your teammate is doing. And there's a lot of people out there who are those kind of, you know, those, you know, those couch fans, so to speak, who have not ever really athletically competed with anybody. And they would say, well, yeah, that's what you would expect. You know, Gino and, and, and Drew 
to to be saying at this point of course they're going to be respectful of course they're going to say oh it's all about me i respect my opponent i'm just going to do what i do i'm not going to worry about what they do but that's that's pretty difficult to do um you know it is just the most natural thing in the world to kind of peek over and see what the other competitor is doing and raise or drop your level of performance based on that that that's that is just kind of how things go. So kudos to both these quarterbacks. To me, it shows their maturity. It shows their experience in the NFL. This truly is about, as Drew Locke said, uh, specifically, he is trying to work on his decision-making, his accuracy, and his timing. That, that's what he needs to improve on. I mean, he showed himself to be an absolute gunslinger, both at Missouri and early on in Denver. Then he, when he went there with a, a defensive minor head coach and Vic Fangio and a defensive minor head coach who has lacked creativity, lacked patience, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, especially at the quarterback position. I, I like the mature answers that we're getting from Drew Luck. I like the confidence basically saying that he feels like he could start tomorrow uh, in Seattle's offense. I mean, that is the kind of confidence that you're looking for at that spot. But at the same time, you don't want a quarterback to be brash. You don't want to see him be willing to trust the arm that helped him be successful in the SEC, but also has led to interceptions in the NFL. So again, I, I think that that is one of the most encouraging things about this confident, uh, but also very respectful competition that we are seeing kind of blossom between Drew Locke and Geno Smith here. And I, I just can't wait to see the way that it's all going to pan out. I, I do think that you are going to see exactly what we just just, just described. We're going to see one quarterback have the better Monday or Tuesday. The next quarterback have the better Wednesday or Thursday. That's the nature of the competition. But I think when it's all said and done, we're going to have those three preseason games and I would not be surprised at all if we do see one of these quarterbacks kind of take the ball and run with it, so to speak. And as you mentioned, Drew Locke said today, if there was a game tomorrow, he could play. He is feeling that in command with the offense. And he credited Shane Waldron and Dave Canal as the quarterback coach for how they have approached teaching him this offense. He was overwhelmed the first day with all the terminology and all the plays and that first day install but he was quickly able to get acclimated. And you can see that in the field. He looks to be in command. He's lining his receivers up. He has command of this offense. And it certainly helps that he's playing this system that's very similar to what he played in his rookie year in Denver. As he mentioned today, a lot of the same terminology, the same lingo, same type of run concepts, same types of formations. There's a lot of similarities between those, and that's made it easier for him to connect the dots and you can really see over the last week or so that things have really taken off for him. And so we talked about it yesterday. We're going to keep bringing it up. This truly is a dead even battle right now between these two guys. And they're going to be trading reps. When we get into training camp, the real test waits when these guys both go against 11 on 11 defenses in padded practices. That is where we are going to start to figure out who can separate themselves who can stack together a bunch of really good days in a row. And it is going to boil down to the decision-making, the accuracy, the timing. Drew Locke is saying, you know, if I can check off those three boxes consistently, then I am doing my job at a high level. Both these guys are going to be looking to do that. And so it might not be the most ideal quarterback competition with two guys that have been failed starters, but 
it continues to look like it is going to be a fascinating one once we get to training camp at the end of July. And both guys today really said all the right things with how they are approaching this competition, what they've learned from it. And that's just going to make it all the better when we actually get there here in under two months. Going back to minicamp, we're going to talk observations from day two, a few standouts on the offensive side of the football, and of course, pass breakup city on defense. Going to be breaking down everything that went down at the VMAC today here in a moment. Don't you love a chewy chocolatey brownie? What about a caramel brownie with salted caramel swirled on top? So good. What if I told you that you can have all that chewy chocolatey deliciousness plus 17 grams of protein? Well, you're in luck because caramel brownie bars are available at Built.com right now. And you got to act fast because they're a fan favorite. Forget about dessert. These are better than dessert. I can speak to it. I just ate one before the show. The macros are unreal. 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, and only 4 grams of sugar. I would replace a regular brownie with Built's caramel brownie bar in a heartbeat. They're covered in 100% real chocolate. With Built, you don't have to satisfy tasty for healthy. You can have both. And all of Built bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides a ton of health benefits. There's a million reasons you should try Built bars. But for now, let's just say caramel brownie will rock your world. And that is not an understatement. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Wednesday show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast. We're to the time of year where the schedule's looking pretty dark, but the NFL never stops, and neither does Locked On NFL. Get insights and opinions from hosts, including Ross Jackson, Chris Carter, and Tony Wiggins, plus local Lockdown NFL hosts repping all 32 squads. There's no off-season for real fans, so make sure you're subscribed to Lockdown NFL on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. The Seahawks were back in action at the VMAC today, the second of three mandatory minicamp practices. Again, these are controlled practices. You don't have 11-on-11 drills. No contact, no tackling, no blocking. So it's not real football, but there's still plenty to unpack from these practices. And this first take is not necessarily going to be a surprise, Rob, because we've seen the guy have three straight thousand yard seasons, the second player in Seahawks history to accomplish that feat. But Tyler Lockett is pretty darn good. Now, he hasn't had a lot of opportunities to catch the ball in OTAs and minicamp. He spent a lot of time on the jugs machine before practice. That's where he's getting most of his catches. But he found the end zone today, catching a fade from Geno Smith, a perfectly dropped dime. And you could see the footwork to create the separation at the last minute, something that Tyler Lockett's been so masterful at his entire NFL career. He's still doing it now in his eighth season for the Seahawks and really continues to be one of the elite receivers in the NFL. Yeah, no question about it. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why, regardless of who Seattle's starting quarterback is, I think that that he has a great chance at being pretty darn successful. It's just because he's going to have some unbelievable talent at the pass catcher positions. Obviously, Tyler Lockett, and you just ta- you just hit upon it. I mean, just he his savviness as a route runner. 
uh, is just extraordinary. Uh, the reliable hands that he possesses, I have no doubt that he is absolutely starring in this session um, because that's exactly what he is, is a superstar. And the same thing, of course, with DK Metcalf. And it's one of the things that, that frankly, I feel like we were a little bit remiss in not acknowledging in our previous segment there when we were breaking down the quarterbacks. That is the one of the huge advantages that Drew Locke possesses is, of course, he has some built-in rapport with Noah Fant, who I think is about to explode for the Seahawks. And, and that has been one of the things that, that I, although I have not been there to actually watch the practices as you have there, sir, uh, that's one of the, the, the comments I've been getting from the people I've been texting who have been at practice is that the tight ends are absolutely a huge part of this offense. Um, they are making some plays, not always the guys that you might expect. The defensive backs who are being asked to cover those tight ends are making some plays as well, just because of the fact that Seattle is focusing so much of their attention uh, on those tight ends. And, and so to me, that is going to be one of the huge stories here is, again, the, the ball skills skills, the speed of Seattle's pass catchers, not just the wide receiver position, but at tight end as well. I'm glad you mentioned tight end because this group has been really impressive during OTAs and now minicamp. I mean, Will Disley's not even there this week. He's dealing with an illness, has been gone the last two days, and yet tight ends continue to make plays. At the end of their seven-on-seven seven, um, seven seven drills today, Tyler Mabry, what a throw by Drew Locke, by the way, bailing out of the pocket, throwing across his body, throws a frozen rope about 35 yards on a line to Tyler Mabry, who had beat Tanner Muse downfield, kind of adjusted his route a little bit as Locke bailed out to his right, but catches the touchdown. You see the athleticism and the ability to get open from Tyler Mabry, a player that maybe this is the year he finally gets on the roster, especially they're going to be using tight ends a lot. He's made some really nice plays the last couple of weeks. And maybe the one that was most surprising with Will Disley not being there the last couple of days. Today, undrafted rookie Cade Brewer out of Texas caught a touchdown pass. And he also had another reception where he too toe-tapped, double toe-tapped along the sideline, was looking like Tyler Lockett over there. And so the undrafted rookie taking advantage of his opportunities with Will Disley being out. He's obviously a long shot to make this football team, but looks like he might have some upside as an undrafted rookie. And Kobe Parkinson, unprompted, Drew Locke mentioned how great he's been, how reliable he looks like he's going to be in the red zone and how he should have played basketball at Stanford. I mean, this is a group, as Locke called it, is special and you can see it on the field. You don't want to overreact, you know, with these practices in May and June, but this is a group that looks like it could be really, really good with Noah Fant, Will Disley, Colby Parkinson, maybe Tyler Mabry fitting into the mold as well. They've got a number of tight ends that can do different things, have some different skill sets and Shane Waldron wants to get them involved more. This offense is built to get tight ends involved more in the passing game with the talent they've got on the outside. Those tight ends should have favorable one-on-one -on -one matchups and seeing what we see in the practice field, this may truly be the year we finally see tight ends become a much bigger focal point in this offense. Yeah, 
I absolutely guarantee that the tight ends are going to have, uh, you know, some some pretty impressive numbers this season. You know, and, and I don't want to just knock Russell Wilson, but we've had this conversation before, Corbin, that just when you're 5'10 and a half, it is just that much more difficult to be able to throw with any type of anticipation, any type of accuracy over the middle. It is just much more difficult to throw over the top to the outside. That's where Russell Wilson has starred, but it's also limited Seattle's offense, especially an offense that's built around the running game. And when you are forcing opposing defenses to cheat those linebackers and cheat those safeties towards the line of scrimmage to try and slow down the running game, then the tight end, the slot receivers should be wide open. They have been wide open. And Drew Locke, going back to his days at Missouri, I mean, he had a heck of a tight end. Uh, and Albert O, I'm not even going to try to to pronounce his name, uh, but as well as Noah Fant, um, you know, both of those players, uh, Albert O, o- wait, I, again, Albert O at Missouri, who was a former Mackey Award winner, um, you know, and, and with, with Drew Locke. And again, a great deal of comfort and rapport with him. Um, went to Denver where he had he and Noah Fant, uh, you know, Troy Fumagalli as well. Another um, sure-handed tight end. Denver had some good tight ends. And Drew Locke has already said that he thinks that Seattle's tight end room is special. And, and so I do think that that is not only Drew Locke's ability to assess the talent on the team. I think that it is John Schneider and, and, and Seattle's ability to assess that position. Um, and, and so I do think that that is absolutely going to be something that you can expect to see Seattle's offense make some big strides in, in that regard. But again, I don't want to focus too much on the offensive guys. I thought that there were some defensive guys that have been getting a little bit of buzz about how they performed one guy guy who at the defensive back defensive backfield excuse me who has been able to kind of make some plays I know that Josh Jones has been getting some buzz what did you see from Jones as well as any of the other defensive backs were they able to make the plays on the ball that we are anticipating today was a pass breakup fest which is really weird to say because technically defensive backs are not supposed to be making active aggressive plays on the football And it happens sometimes in these practices. I mean, you're going to have instincts kick in. But Josh Jones had three pass breakups today. He was all over the place. And he got more reps because Ryan Neal was not at the practice today. He's been at all their OTAs and was the first day of minicamp, but he was not there today. And you know Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams aren't partaking in on-field practice right now. So there's a lot of reps out there. And Jones is a guy that's a former second-round pick. And he's played a lot of games in the NFL, over 20 starts in his career. And he played pretty well for Seattle the last few games last season when they had injuries in the back half. Jamal Adams being out, a few other guys getting banged up, and he had to start the final game against the Cardinals. He played really well in those couple games. So he's continuing to impress and and maybe pushing for a reserve role because he's a guy that can play both safety positions. He's a good special teams player, still a fairly young player. On top of that, Pete Carroll raved about how he played last year. So he is a guy that's putting himself on the radar as one of those bubble players that maybe has a chance to get back onto this 53-man roster for the 2022 season. But I want to throw out the name Ugo Amadi here. This was the star of today's practice. And Ugo's had kind of a quiet offseason to this point. Not necessarily that he's done anything wrong, just hadn't been making any plays on the practice field. Well, that changed today, and, and it's ironic because Drew Locke was talking about this in his press conference, that 
he and Ugo Amadi, they have trained together, at least trained at the same facility, and they have been watching film together. And apparently Drew Locke tipped something to Ugo Amadi with his technique in the secondary, and that helped him jump a curl route during seven-on-seven, a perfectly timed jump, intercepts it, returns it all the way back to the end zone for a pick six. That was the highlight play of the day, and Locke was joking about it after practice. You know, I don't know that we need to watch film together anymore, but uh, it was the play of the day and certainly one that Drew Locke can learn from, and obviously Ugo Amadi has been paying very close attention to that film study. Yeah, and that's another thing. I I, I love that you mentioned Ugo Amadi and and that he made that big play. Of course, he was a you know a, a guy that a lot of Seahawks fans were were kind of blasting a year ago. And I just remember the young man in Oregon that was an absolute ball hawk. I mean, he made so many big plays for the Oregon Ducks. Um, and and this was a kid who who grew up, I believe, in the South, in, in Missouri or Tennessee or somewhere off to the South. And to have the confidence as eighteen years year old young man to go all the way across the country play for the university of oregon and to become the player that he became um that to me is the kind of guy who i think this is of course in the last year of his rookie deal don't be surprised at all if ugo amati surprises some people if these ball hawking ways continue throughout the preseason this kid has an ability to kind of locate the football and make big plays and that's actually what winds up getting you on NFL rosters. It's not necessarily about size or speed. It's it's playmaking ability. And, and so Ugo Amadi possesses that. So good for him being making being able to make a big play. Although I, I'm sure, as you mentioned, Drew Locke is not necessarily going to be uh, celebrating quite as much with his teammate Ugo Amadi, considering what uh, Amadi was able to do to him. Since it was his teammate, though, I, I you know, like I said, I think it's all joking. I'm pretty sure he's going to be doing anything he can to help Uo Mati. He might not give him quite as many tips so that he can end up burning him in practice like he did. One other name of note, Sidney Jones also had two pass breakups today, including one in the end zone, knocking away a potential touchdown. So he had a really good practice today. He's battling for one of those two starting spots. I think right now he is probably the surest thing in that group as far as being a starter the way that he played especially late last year, still being a pretty young player that fits the scheme that they're running pretty well. So he's a player that is trending upward as well as we get towards the end of the final phase of Seattle's offseason program. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first lesson five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, we're going to put a bow on Seattle's mandatory minicamp. They have their final minicamp practice coming up tomorrow. We'll share some takeaways and continue our position-by-position review. We've been talking about defensive tackles the last few days. We're going to try to get it in tomorrow. Could be some news unexpectedly, though, this time of year. You won't want to miss whatever we're going to be bringing up for our Thursday show. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.